When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. everyone, Stuckoo here. And I'm Gabby. And welcome back to the podcast, my hoes. Oh my lord. Okay, so yes, I know this is kind of light. I know a lot of or late, light, late, late. late. That's late, the word guys. that I'm looking for. Yes. And people on Patreon were specifically looking for the early release of this because last week I said that we were going to start things up and have all the stuff on the Crusades done by Wednesday. Which Remember when I said, are you sure? I don't think you should be too ambitious. You're really biting off more than you can chew. L- listen, listen. On my own, that is fine. Then something happened that made this not on my own. So for many of you who may be listening, I have been working exceptionally hard in order to try and go full time here in terms of content production. I want to continue to produce more episodes of my podcast. Hell, maybe at some point I can go to three episodes a week if I really did that. Though one of them I definitely wouldn't ask Gabby. It would probably just be me on my own doing something. I think everyone would enjoy you on your own without me interrupting. Okay, come on. Come on. You you could be funny sometimes. I'm not going to even respond <laughs> further than this. <laughs> so the, the gist of it is that I actually got offered a deal by Paradox Interactive, which I'm not sure if you all know who Paradox Interactive is or like what it is rather. But that is a grand strategy company. Like if you think Creative Assembly with Total War games, Paradox with Laris E4, etc. This is a very, very big company. And they are wanting to work with me to develop content. Oh, I would just like to interrupt to say this is not sponsored. He's just such a fanboy for oh, Paradox. Yeah, no, absolutely. This is not a sponsorship. Like, no. We literally do not have anything sponsored on this podcast ever unless it's the ads that literally come from the podcast platform. Am I being sponsored by uh, by Paradox? Yes. Am I being sponsored by them here? No. I just really like them in the first place, so I'm excited. So anyway, it's it's a big deal, essentially, that I will be able to do this, and hopefully, if things continue to progress at the rate that they are on Patreon and other platforms, that I will be able to go full-time and focus fully on content production. So for those of you who are listening to this early and you're a member of my Patreon, thank you. You all are the reason why I can continue to do what I do. If you are not on Patreon already, then I would ask that you please do join, because if you pay only a dollar per month, you not only get all these episodes early, but simultaneously every Friday you get a bonus episode, an additional episode that is a full episode. It's not like just 15 or 20 minutes of me rambling on about something. It's it's another full podcast episode. Also, I know a few people left reviews asking if there was an ad-free experience. And yes, if you join Patreon, every single episode is uploaded early with no ads. Yeah. Plus the bonus episode with no ads. So that's just for you guys. And I'll be honest, this is something that we're going to work really hard towards. And I'm really hoping that we can happen or make happen soon. And thank you for all who are listening. But anyway, I said that we were going to continue this series. All right. On the Crusades, because it, it also is ironic that I'm being sponsored by this whole thing with Crusader Kings 3. And here we go. We got Crusaders as the topic. Admittedly, before I started any of this, this was not a thing. So I didn't know this was going to happen. It's just a very funny coincidence that this actually occurred. And oh my God, there will be so many different things that are going to be able to be done in regards to 
medieval stories, um, weapons, armor, battles. Oh my god, I could go in-depth on so many different battles for different things here. If there's ones in particular that you would like to see, then let us know. Like, you can put it in Discord, or you can put it as, like, I don't know, a review. We haven't gotten a lot of reviews here in a while here. Make sure to put in the reviews if you actually like the podcast and what it is that you'd really like to see from us, because we do go ahead and take a look at them. And One podcasts of- grow using reviews they so do. that would be a huge help you guys hell one of the comments i saw like literally we haven't gotten many comments in a while despite the fact that it's getting many many listens and i remember one of them was something like along the lines of is terrible don't listen and all i can think is like man at least the last person that criticized us talked about whale bones and the exact makeup of a corset <laughs> Which they had a good point. We should do an entire episode on corsets to fix that Oh, yeah, one no, mis- just out of spite. I'm going to do an entire thing on corsets <laughs> here in the future for, like, women's fashion just throughout the ages. Just for you, and we will <laughs> message you back. We'll find you, and we'll be like, hey, you will be the consultant mm-hmm. on this corsets episode. Please. Because I was speaking very generally, but, of course, that's the problem when you're talking generally in history is that you mention one thing that it's like, oh, well, it's kind of like this as you explain it in a general sense. And then, no, you have the person who knows the exact detail from the exact date with the exact genetic makeup who is going to rip you a new one. And honestly, that's how we learn. So like, we can take the criticism. Please let us know. Honestly, I'm not being criticized because I literally know nothing. So criticize that. Thank you. (laughs) You know what? Sure. Let's just, (laughs) let's go with that. So as I said, welcome back everyone to this little podcast series that we have covering the Crusades. Now, I will be honest at this point, I don't really know how many episodes that are actually going to be made, but I mean, I distinctly recommend or remember promising that we were going to have a lot more that would be done this week. We just obviously didn't. I'm sorry, but we're going to be doing a lot more. And I'm hoping that as this project ends, I'll be able to do a lot more. I'm just going to tell you that that whole promise might happen more going into this next week. Again, I'm not going to make any definitive statements, but it might happen. Uh, because there's a lot to do. Like today's an example is going to be a somewhat shorter podcast. I'm not sure if you can already see the time frame on it, but instead of a hour long podcast, it might only be around half of that specifically because I realized very quickly as I was preparing this, which is on the second crusade, that if I want to combine multiple parts, the third crusade is arguably the most famous of the crusades. It's the biggest and the grandest. So that would be triple whatever this individual podcast would be, which means that instead of like, you know, an hour, I would be out here for like two and a half hours or so just recording this stuff. And I'm like, ah, I I physically don't have the time. I have to go make a video of myself in a maid outfit at a Walmart after this. Which, yes, for those of you listening, that's actually something that I have to do right now. I'm not sure if you've seen the video, but we raised money for charity and here we are. So that's that's now a thing. So anyway, back to the actual crusades. Last time we left off in the First Crusade, Jerusalem had been successfully recaptured, but in order to ensure that the Holy City actually stayed in Christian hands, it was necessary that various different settlements would be established in the Levant, collectively known as the Crusader States, the the Latin East or something like Al-Kramir. And these three Crusader States were established in the East. You had the Kingdom of Jerusalem, the Principality of Antioch, and the County of Edessa, But there was a fourth one, which was called the County of Tripoli, and that was established later on in 1109. Now, among all of these, Edessa was the most northerly one of them. And it was also the weakest because it had the lowest amount of population. 
and as a result of that, it was subject to many different raids by the surrounding Muslim states, such as the Ortakids, the Danishmans, and also the Seljuk Turks, which, on that note, I mean, I could do an entire series alone as well on the Seljuk Turks. Honestly, I, Gabby, I say that a lot. Like, I could do an entire series on this. One day you'll be able to do an entire series on everything. I, God, it's the history of everything, and all I'm doing is just talking. It's like... You really see my ADHD brain come out in this because it's just jumping around from one topic to the next. Okay, focus up. Okay, yeah, literally doing it right now. Just on the idea of being distracted. I'm distracted. So this city, Edessa, it's located on the edge of the desert in Syria and upper Mesopotamia. And at the time, it was a very important commercial and cultural center. The city had been in Christian hands since the first crusade, but it fell to Imad ad-Din Zangi, the Muslim independent ruler of Mosul in Iraq and Aleppo. And so on the 24th of December, 1144, following the capture in which Muslims described as a great victory, Western Christians were either going to be, they were killed or they were just sold into slavery while Eastern Christians were actually permitted to remain. A response was called for and the Christians of Edessa had appealed for help. A general defense of the Latin East as a crusader state in the Middle East, or collectively known, was required. So basically the gist of it is that, okay, this city has fallen. And this is something that is one of the key crusader states that is the extension of the church in the region. So they very quickly realize, okay, we um, yeah, yeah, we actually need help. And they, they reach out to as many people as they possibly can. So you got the Pope, naturally, as you would expect in this scenario, and his name is Eugenius III. And so he formally called for a crusade, what is now known as the Second Crusade, on the 1st of December, 1145, with the goal being to, well, how should I put this? It was kind of vague. Like, there was a lot of different things that could be done because neither Edessa nor Zangi was specifically mentioned. Like, instead, his call to crusade was more of a broad appeal for the achievements of the First Crusade and Christians and the Holy Relics and the Levant needed to be protected and yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Basically, it was um, it was like a kid at the playground got hit and now someone has just come into the school and goes, all right, all right, we're going to have some changes here. Like what, in regards to recess? No, everything, even math. Good. Like that's, that, that's pretty much how it is that they roll. So what occurred here is that they, they targeted like what, three different areas? I'm gonna cover that later on, but essentially it wasn't just dedicated to the Middle East, it was dedicated to more parts and that precise aim would have some severe repercussions in the crusade choice of, you know, it's actual military targets because there was no actual real goal. So to boost the crusade's appeal, Christians who joined, just like the first one, were promised complete remission of their sins, even if they actually just died on the journey to the Levant, which I actually think is really funny because, okay, remember remember what happened in that first time with all the people that just kind of died en route because raiding, starving, fighting each other, uh, burning down actual Christian cities because they um, they were going after other people like the Jews and that kind of thing? Yeah, so essentially, they, they learn, like, okay, this shit is going to happen, so we might as well promise um, remission of sins for everyone, not just the people who actually get and go on the crusade. Interesting. <laughs> so, that, that was the idea. 
But in addition to that, their property and their families would be protected while they were away. So such things as uh, loans would be like, or not loans itself, but like, okay, you know how we have interest, Gabby, for loans of any kind, whether it's credit cards, student loans, other stuff like that? Unfortunately, yes. So it's this really weird thing where in Christian Europe, you weren't actually supposed to have interest because that was ursary. We discussed this last time. Yes, Christians we, weren't allowed to have ursary, but the Jewish lenders were. So that's why Jewish people became like bankers because they were actually able to make money off of the loans. We discussed this last time. I'm yes. now an expert. I'm, I'm so glad that you actually remember that here. Okay, so... I actually learned it from the Borges, but you too. So essentially... All that interest on loans that, you know, some people still did have to pay despite being Christian and other stuff like that, that this would be suspended or just outright canceled. Like there would be no interest on anything, which naturally to a lot of the people who were in debt or mortgaging their property or anything, you know, pay for crusade was a pretty sweet deal. And so that appeal, backed by recruitment tours across Europe, notably by Bernard, the, uh, the abbot of Clairvaux, and the widespread public reading of a letter from the Pope, which was called the Quantum Predisoris after its first two words, was hugely successful. And so around 60,000 crusaders were getting ready to go. It was the largest crusading force that had ever yet been gathered. And so this crusade was to be led by Conrad III and Louis VII, the King of France. It, Conrad III actually was of um, uh, Germany at the time. And so it was the first time that kings had personally led a crusade force. In the summer of 1147 CE, the army marched across Europe to Constantinople, from there to the Levant, where the French and German troops would be joined by Italians, Northern Europeans, more French crusaders who had sailed rather than traveled by land, and the crusaders were reminded of the urgency of the military response when Nur ad-Din, which was Zangi's successor after his death in September of 1146, he defeated the Latin leader Jocelyn II's attempt to retake Edessa. Once again, the city was sacked to celebrate Nur ad-Din's new power, and all of the Christian male citizens of the city were slaughtered, and the women and children were sold into slavery, just as their Western followers had been just only a couple years before. So it, it was an event, to say the least. But the Second Crusade, besides Edessa, had additional objectives in the form of Iberia and also the Baltic, and both of these campaigns were backed by the Pope. The Crusaders who were to sail to the east were perhaps used in Iberia because they had to delay their departure in order for the land armies to make their slow progress to the Levant. So what happened, like the, the sea route, sailing there rather than marching over land was significantly quicker so it was advantageous in the meantime to put them to pretty good use so you had this fleet of around what 160 200 or so ships that were packed with crusaders that they set sail heading south for lisbon in portugal or what would become portugal in order to assist king alfonso henrique of portugal itself to capture that city from the muslims now on arrival a textbook siege of it began on the 28th of June, 1147, and was ultimately successful, with the city falling on the 24th of October in 1147. Some crusaders would go on to continue their war against the Muslims in Iberia, 
which was something that was then known as the Reconquista, noticed, noticed like they, they actually captured a few more places like Almeria in northern Spain. And this was guided by King Alfonso VII of Leon in Castile and Tortosa in eastern Spain on the 30th of December 1148. An attack on Jaén in southern Spain, though, that didn't really work out. But another area besides Spain for the Crusaders was the Baltic and those areas that were bordering the German territories, which had continued to be pagan. So the Northern Crusades campaign conducted by the Saxons, and it was led by the Germans and the Danish nobles and these people, they were directed against the pagan winds. Provided, this provided a whole new facet to the Crusader movement, such as, say, you know, active conversion of non-Christians as opposed to just liberating the territories that were held by infidels. It wasn't just a matter of, okay, we're going to take over this territory that's being controlled by enemies and populated with our own people. It's like, no, we are going to take this place by fire and sword, and we are going to convert the population. Yeah, actually, the Baltics is one of the more brutal things that could be covered. What? No. I would never think that. Yeah, yeah. I would never think that. That's so so shocking. I... Actually, I was looking into a lot of it, and like, what was it? The Boer Wars? Is that what it was? The Boer Wars? It was in South Africa? Yeah. No, 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 not the Boer Wars. The, uh, the Balkan Wars, duh. Balkan? <laughs> the first and second Balkan Wars. Oh, my God. I was looking into those after learning about Milonka Sevit. Oh, yeah, no, it's a good story. I get it. Hey, everyone, it's Takuya here, and before we get back to the show, I would just like to thank today's sponsor, eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential, and then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you can make sure that your ride stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, exhaust kits, turbochargers, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices... You're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. And you see what happened there with like Prussia, or the, sorry, Prussia. Bulgaria, which was considered the Prussia of the Balkans, and like 10% of its entire population was in the military at one point. Yes, and that's crazy because, I mean, what recruitment level would you have to have your Hoi 4 country on to get that? Uh, it's not service by requirement that's what it would be that, that was 10% extensive conscription was 5% whereas limited conscription was 2.5 so yeah that would be service by requirement I'm pretty sure perfect okay so the northern crusades as they were conducted were, uh, were, were pretty brutal and so between June and September of 1147 Dobin and Machau both in modern northeastern Germany were successfully attacked, but the overall campaign didn't really do much more than the annual raiding parties. Like, you couldn't really take over. They simply didn't have the manpower, the resources, the stuff that was actually needed to take it over. And so the area would continuously be supported by additional crusaders over the years, including the arrival of the Teutonic Knights in the 13th century, which that's actually something that I really should cover. Do you remember the Teutonic Knights, Gabby? What those were? Mm, are you going to hate me if I say no? Well, not exactly. A okay, because absolutely so not. I've you, never even heard that word. 
have you seen the knight's helmet where it's like the bucket helmet like the one that we have back here except on the side of the helmet going upward it has wings no that cla- wait really you don't recognize that image i've never seen that shoot okay the teutonic helms were scary as hell like they were like they were terrifying to really go up against like that that, that was a that was a whole thing and so th- that's what was going on there the Byzantine Emperor in the meanwhile, at the same time of the Second Crusade, that was Manuel I Komnenos. Now, unlike his pre- predecessors, Manuel seemed really attracted to the West. I, like he, he, he was friendly. He favored the Latins in Constantinople. He dispensed civil awards and military titles like for them. And then ever since the First Crusade, though, there was a very deep suspicion. Whoa. There is a yeah. minor hurricane happening outside. Yeah, if we're you can so hear sorry. any of this, I apologize. Uh, we we're filming, we're recording this in a garage, and there are there, it's really windy because there's a storm going on outside and it's uh, hitting things. So this is ambiance. Oh my god, Gabby, we should be doing a horror podcast right now. Absolutely not. Ah, no, absolutely fun. not. Okay, let's talk about more horrible things in history. Then anyway, now to move on. So he, he, the emperor favored the West, but actual Byzantium was not necessarily so kind. And Manuel was pretty war- wary. His primary concern was that the Crusaders were all, were like really the only choice that the Byzantine Empire had for anything, for support, because, I mean, Jerusalem was in Christian hands. Like there was really nothing that they could really do. They, they, it wasn't owned by the emperor even though that was former Byzantine territory, it was being held by these Latin crusaders. So he had to kind of maintain friendly relations against the Muslims. And so Manuel insisted that the leaders of the crusaders on arrival in September and October of 1147 swear allegiance to him. And at the same time, the Western powers considered the Byzantines just a little bit too preoccupied with their own affairs to actually be helpful because their goal was something beyond just simple reclamation of land. It was noble. It was the defense of Christianity and of God himself and, you know, all the other yada yada. Like, the the reasons. Like, the the actual moral justification behind it. So, they didn't like the Byzantines because the Byzantines were like, nah, hey, so any land that you take here, uh, you're you're, you're, going to give that to me here. Uh, That's that's my stuff. That's, that's That's my shit. Basically, that's <laughs> that's pretty much what it was. And so the Byzantines had been attacking Crusader-held Antioch, and the old divisions between the Eastern between the Eastern and the Western churches really had not gone away. It was fairly significant then that, despite the diplomacy, that Manuel strengthened the fortifications of Constantinople in preparation for these Christians to arrive because he didn't want them to just burn down everything. Which is honestly fair. I mean, to be fair, considering what happened in the First Crusade and the previous things, um, and what is going to happen in the future by the time we get to a um, another certain crusade. It honestly just makes sense. Is the Children's Crusade going to come up at any point? Yes, no, the, the Children's Crusade will definitely come up. Perfect. There's there's going to be a lot of things in here that we will need to be covering here. I might just mentally check out until that one. That was a joke. I was going to say here, you got to listen or else I'm just some crazy person talking to myself and people who may be listening through the internet. 
which I mean, you all arguably for my wife might be crazy for listening to me in the first place, but hey, it is what it is. So when the French and the German contingents arrived in Byzantium at Constantinople in 1147, things only got worse. Could you imagine that? These parties that definitely did not trust one another, uh, it just didn't work so well. So always suspicious of the Eastern Church, and now the uh, they were outraged to discover that Manuel had actually signed a truce with the Turks because he, the Crusaders, rather than going just by boat, they were specifically marching through his lands. So Manuel needed to make sure that the Turks didn't attack him because he wasn't the one that was attacking them. He, it was Crusaders that were going through his territory that were going to attack them they might see him as essentially collaborating with the enemy, and so they would attack him themselves. So he made this truce, and when the Christians discovered it, they were pissed. The French section of the army itself, they wanted to storm Constantinople itself. The German crusaders had, well, they had their own problems. A large number of them were wiped out on the way in a terrible flash flood. And the crusaders were eventually persuaded to just hurry on their way east with reports of a large Muslim army preparing to block their path in Asia Minor. There, they ignored Manuel's advice to stick to the safety of the coast, and then, of course, ran into a little bit of, um... What's the word? Problem? Issue? Issue. Unfortunate event, I should say. So the German army that was led by Conrad III was the first to suffer from, well, lack of planning and not heeding any local advice. I mean, this guy was not prepared. Like, they were not prepared for the harsh, semi-arid steppe. The Crusaders didn't really have many food supplies, and Conrad had underestimated just the amount of time that it would take to actually reach his objective in the first place. Like, he, they didn't plan hardly any of this, or what plans they did make were just woefully hopeful and not actually helpful. So hopeful, not helpful. At Dorielan, a force of Muslim Seljuk Turks, which was primarily composed of archers, caused havoc with this slow-moving western just column that on 25th of October 1147, and they were then forced to retreat to Nicaea. Conrad himself was wounded, but did eventually make it back to Constantinople. Meanwhile, the majority of Conrad's force was completely and utterly destroyed. And so Louis VII was shocked to hear of the Germans' failure, but he pressed on and managed to defeat a Seljuk army in December of 1147 using his superior cavalry. It, it didn't really last long, though. Like, the success was fairly short-lived because on the 7th of January 1148, the French were very badly beaten in, the, in battle as they crossed the Cadmus Mountains. The Crusader army had become way too stretched out because they were all moving in these massive columns heading out towards, you know, the, like, heading towards the Levant. They got separated, and this caused some units to just completely lose contact with each other, and the fast-moving Seljuks then took complete advantage. What remained of the Westerners was commanded by a group of Knights Templars. There were a few minor victory in the Crusades made, but... So on their way to the southern coast of Asia Minor, it didn't really matter much. It was, it was a disastrous opening. Like a lot of forces of theirs from that sixty thousand were just wiped. 
So Louis VII and his ravaged army finally arrived at Antioch on March of 1148. And from there, he ignored Raymond of Antioch's proposal to fight northern Syria and marched on to the south. The lack of cooperation between the two rulers, if rumors were true, might, and Gabby, you're going to like this, might have been due to Louis's quote-unquote discovery that his young wife Eleanor of Aquitaine and Raymond, which was Eleanor's uncle, mind you, might have been carrying on an affair. You say what now? Yeah, no, no, it's, um, <laughs> welcome to medieval politics, everybody. Things can get really spicy. I now, actually was just reading about Pope Alexander VI, like, alleged oh. having, I guess, an affair with someone he was related to and then having a kid. I don't know if that's true, but I did go down this rabbit hole by accident. I just dived in and I was like, what is happening? So this is really topical. We did that one video, or not video, we did that one podcast on Pope John the Twelfth, and... Yes, arguably his is the most wild among all the papal stories, but the history of the papacy itself is fairly insane. Like, it, just, it really is. It's just as a political entity. In any case, a council of Western leaders was convened at Acre, and the target of the crusade was selected. Which, it's, it's so funny. So they got all of these men. They got all this military force. They pushed it all the way here, ran into all this trouble. And they get there and like, okay... Where are we going? Like Where they, are they going? They, 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 that's pretty much just what they selected. So the target of the crusade was selected, but it was not the already destroyed Edessa, but rather Muslim-held Damascus, which was arguably the closest threat to Jerusalem, and it was a pretty prestigious prize. Like, not gonna lie, it was, a, it was if they got it, that would be great. But the funny thing is, Damascus had once actually been in an alliance with the crusader-led kingdom of Jerusalem. See, it had a, a large series of shifting loyalty between the various Muslim states. And so all of the... It, it wasn't like... Well, if I went back here further, the Umayyad Caliphate, the Abbasid Caliphate, all these like wide-reaching, like massive Muslim empires, by this time had broken apart into a bunch of competing Islamic states. And so these shifting loyalties between the different groups meant that no one really trusted one another and no one had true power and it wasn't consolidated. So the city of Damascus was Muslim held, but it allied itself with the Crusaders in order to defend itself against other Muslim forces. That didn't goddamn matter for any of these Crusaders though, because they had to at least take one major city or else these crusaders were going to go home as, you know, just complete and utter failures. Damascus was, I mean, it's as good a choice as any for the crusaders, considering their situation, which that in turn was made much more urgent, as because of their army's arrival, it became very possible that the Muslims of Damascus would instead join up with those in Aleppo under the command of Edessa's ambitious conqueror, Nur ad-Din. The Crusader army arrived in Damascus on the 24th of July, 1148, and immediately began a siege. But after only four days, though the difficulties presented by the defenses and the serious uh, lack of water for the attackers meant that the siege had to be abandoned. Once again, bad planning, poor logistics, just really stupid actions proved to be the Crusader's undoing. 
and the fighting around the city had been ferocious with heavy casualties on both sides, but no real advances were ever actually made. The failure of the Second Crusade was now... God, in comparison to that first one, which was widely successful against all odds, it seems, this one other one was just a comp- absolute failure. Like, not, I say absolute. It was a failure. They did take some things along the way. They had some minor victories, but overall, it was just bad. The collapse of the siege after such a short time led people like Conrad III to suspect that the defenders had actually bribed the Christian residents of the city to just not do anything because they expected the Christians that were in the city still to create infighting and help them actually take over the city itself. Others suspected that the Byzantines were interfering and not actually helping them. But the other thing to really consider is that the defenders were really keen on keeping their city. Like, naturally they would. I mean, this is a city that has many, many, many links to Islamic tradition. And the arrival of 150 kilometers away of a large Muslim relief force sent by Nur ad-Din with limited numbers and supplies facing a short time for the actual, you know, the seizures meant that the crusader leaders might have just preferred the option of of retreat because the, it was it was not going to be good. Like they had to either storm the city and take it risking huge casualties to do so or hope that it would fall, which it likely wouldn't, until the relief force arrived, which in turn would trap them and potentially destroy them. There was, there was no other fight, though, after this. As Conrad III returned to Europe in September of 1148, and Louis, after doing a sightseeing tour of the Holy Land, did the same only six months later. The Second Crusade, despite being so much bigger than people had anticipated, just completely fizzled out like like a firework that you just threw a bucket of water on. This thing, it, it just completely fizzled out. So the Second Crusade was a very serious blow to Byzantium's carefully constructed diplomatic alliances. Like, everything Manuel had built up over the years in order to defend his land, both from the other Western Christian powers and then from the Turks, just fell apart. Especially with Conrad III against the Normans. The crusade in Conrad's absence from Europe provided a distraction which allowed the Norman king Roger III of Sicily the freedom to just attack and pillage Greek lands such as Corfu, Euboea, uh, Corinth, and Thebes all in 1147 AD. Manuel's attempt to persuade Louis VII to side with him against Roger just failed. And in 1149, the embarrassment of a Serbian uprising and an attack in the area around Constantinople by George of Antioch's fleet was offset by the Byzantines recapturing Corfu. Once again, a crusade had really damaged Eastern and Western relations, just like that one time that the crusaders took all those lands and then just refused to give them back to the Byzantines. Nur ad-Din, as the crusaders no doubt had feared, continued to consolidate his empire. He took Antioch on the 29th of June in 1149, and after the Battle of Inab, beheading its ruler Raymond of Antioch. Raymond, the Count of Edessa, was captured and imprisoned, and the Latin state of Edessa was eliminated in 1150 CE. Next, Nur ad-Din took over Damascus in 1154, uniting Muslim Syria. And now, Manuel would strike back with successful campaigns later on, but it didn't really matter. 
the Muslims in the area would pose a permanent threat to the Byzantines and the Latin East. When Nur ad-Din's general, Shirka, like he went and conquered Egypt in 1168, the way was paved for an even greater threat to Christendom as the great Muslim leader Saladin, Sultan of Egypt, would rise to victory at the Battle of Hattin in 1187, sparking off the Third Crusade. Do you actually remember when we did that here, Gabby? Remember the whole uh, military disasters? Yeah, I do, actually. The Crusade One is the Battle of Hattin. Oh, are we going to cover it again? Yes. So we are going to cover that briefly. With new detail, right? If you... Well, what? With slightly new detail? Well, maybe. We, uh, it's essentially going to be a brief overview because now we're the big detail that we're going to be focusing on is the actual Third Crusades. They are the actual third crusade. And this is going to be a fairly long one here. Also, that Military Disasters podcast was a Patreon exclusive, Stephen. So oh, shoot, it have was. to cover it. A slight bit for everyone on Spotify. Oh, Lord, I am. All right. Well, for those of you, if you want to hear about it now and you want to hear about all the military disasters and things that we covered, make sure to check out our Patreon. I appreciate all of you who have been listening um, because you, well, you all are the reason that I'm doing this. Thank you. Thank you very much for everyone who has been watching. I hope to see you all next time. And bye, guys. Bye. Don't forget to leave us a review. As a long-time foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.